Hello and welcome to the Secret Library Podcast. I'm your host, Caroline Donahue, and ever since I was little, I've been obsessed with books. So I started this show to interview authors and those behind the book so that we can learn not just why they mean something to us, but where they come from. Okay, welcome to the Secret Library Podcast once again. I'm really, really excited today to have as my guest, Elora Ramirez. I think Elora is maybe the prettiest name ever, by the way. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I I think we're, we're kind of having a theme emerge where a couple, a couple shows ago we had Melda Harris who was talking a little bit about indie publishing, and I'm excited to have Elora now who is really... Um, built out a community around this. So I'm going to go into the traditional intro. Um, Laura has been telling stories her whole life. She learned to read with Dr. Seuss, as did I, I think. Um, Writing in the margins ways she thought the story could improve, which is so awesome. Um, As she got (laughs) older, her love of storytelling morphed into teaching high school English for 10 years. And then she got a master's of education in curriculum and instruction and has written three novels. And then for the past three years, she's helped over 400 women find language to tell their story well. And she has a dream of one day owning a house where her library consists of floor-to-ceiling shelves of books you have written. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. Um, Through e-courses, community retreats, and workshops, um, her hope is that you know the story in your bones wants nothing more than for you to give it a shot. And that's so great. So thank you so much for being on with us. And um, I want to talk about all these things because... I don't know. Let's just start. Like, how did you how did you get from teaching English to writing novels? Were you writing while you were teaching? I'm, I'm just <laughs> curious about how you made all that work. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's I I still don't know exactly how it happened. So <laughs> I've always loved to write, and when I was teaching, I always knew that that wasn't going to be my career forever. But I loved the teaching aspect. It was just the 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 politics that were involved and the lack of creativity that kept surfacing the more I worked there. And so it was probably the second to last year. So in my, my seventh or eighth year of teaching, I just kind of sat down one night and it was November 1st and I decided I'm going to do NaNoWriMo. And I yes. didn't even plan. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I didn't even plan. I did have about 1,500 words that I wrote a couple years prior while I was in grad school. My graduate professor said a phrase, and it was just about the sunrise and how sunrises make him come alive. And something about that phrase just got into my bones, and I went home that night and wrote 1,500 words in what would soon become my first novel. And I just didn't take those 1,500 words and turn it into a novel until a few years down the line when I was like, I'm going to get serious about this writing business. I've always wanted to do something with writing, but I've never actually done it. I just kind of was passive about it and wanted it to come to me rather than me go out and chase it. And so I just decided to do it. And every day I'd sit down at my computer thinking it's not going to happen today. I'm not going to get that word count. And then I'd get that word count and more. (laughs) So I wrote uh, 55,000 words that November toward this novel. 
that would one day be every shattered thing. And I, I fell in love with it. I actually didn't finish the novel until a year and a half later. Um, I, my husband and I went through some rough emotional seasons in that moment. And because that book was so heavy on the emotion side, like I had to pour everything into it. Um, when that happened, I just didn't have the ability to give everything to the book like I had before. And so, but it was providential at the same time because the way the timeline happened, I didn't finish it until my last year, what would be my last year in education. And I randomly found a publisher who was looking for new books because they were a new publisher and they wanted my book to publish at the time it was titled come alive. Mm. And that book came out in September of 2011. I always get my years because <laughs> these past years have just flown by, you know, yeah, like, yeah, and it's yeah. like, was that 2011 or 2015? Um, Absolutely. but <laughs> that book, get, that book came out that fall. And then by December, I didn't have a publisher. I didn't have an agent. Um, I got my rights back. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. For the same book. And I never got any royalties for that book. And so that, yeah, that was one of the primary reasons why I walked away from teaching because I realized how much I loved writing and how much, uh, how much I love story and, talking to other people about story and working with them about it. And so when I walked away from teaching, there were two core reasons. One was because my book was coming out and I really wanted to focus on that. And the other was because my husband and I were in the middle of an adoption process and we were told that it could happen at any time. And so I just walked away, finally took that leap and jumped into writing full time and prepping to become a mom. And that was, gosh, at the, at this point, it's close to four or five years ago. Now we still don't have a kid. Our adoption oh. process is still oh in the God. middle. Uh, and the publisher I thought was going to publish me is now non-existent. However, because of that crazy season where everything kind of fell apart in a way, Um, I was forced to reckon with what I really wanted to do. And because I I just had this idea of like, well, if I'm not going to be writing full time, then what am I going to be doing? Or I thought I was going to be doing this and now that is taken away. So what is what's left and story coaching and writing more novels, it all just kind of fell into my lap. It just it made sense. It was the next right step. I'd still be teaching. I'd still be taking my skills of curriculum, except I'd be putting it towards something I loved. And yeah, it was a whirlwind of probably six months from that June when I walked away from my campus for the last time till December when I realized my (laughs) publisher wasn't going to exist anymore. Oh my God, I can't imagine. Yeah, it was, I, I knew it wasn't the right fit. And here's the ironic thing. It was kind of like someone unfriending you on Facebook before you can unfriend them. (laughs) But like, I knew it wasn't the right fit. And I was trying to figure out a way to get myself 
more into the indie community because that's where I felt at home. Mm. But I didn't know how to do it because I had no knowledge of the industry at all. This competition that I entered myself in, because that's, that's how I got the the publisher wanting my book was I put my oh. book in a publishing contest. That was just kind of like a half-assed assumption of like, well, at least this will get me to finish my book. Right. <laughs> like, I won't win, but at least it'll get me to finish. And then I made finals and I hadn't even edited the manuscript. And so all everything that happened within those six months forced me. It, it really began that push for my own self to really follow my intuition. So it was devastating when the publisher closed down because in a way I, it did feel like a rejection and it was a huge blow to my pride when I never got any royalties for the books I know that sold. But at the same time, as much of a cautionary tale that I had become, I still had my rights for my book. I was still able to recover it. I was still able to retitle it. And even more, I was able to edit it to the book that I knew I wanted to write. I had almost censored myself in that first version of the manuscript just to kind of make it okay for people to read, like the book I thought they'd want to read rather than the book I wanted to write. And so when I got my rights back, I fixed it. That's amazing. <laughs> I gave the characters. Oh, I know. To this day, I know it could have gone. I'm so thankful because I know it could have gone so many different ways where I wasn't as lucky. Yeah. That's an incredible story. <laughs> so then you've gone on and then you've written two more novels. And so, yeah, after this experience, you were like, nope, I'm going to write more, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. I. My my first book is Every Shattered Thing, and then and it's about a girl, a 17-year-old, who is stuck in a human trafficking ring that's started by her father. And that book really covers her escape and, and how she gets away from him. The second book is more on her recovery and how she reckons with the past that she can't just run away from. Like, it's right. you can't just run away from trauma like that. No. And so she deals with it in that second book as best as she can. And she also kind of learns a little bit more about friendship where like, who can she trust because her trust meter has been absolutely shot. Right. Um, and so that's the second book. It's called somewhere between water and sky. And then my third book was published last August of 2015 and it's called secrets don't keep and it's mm. a new series about a boarding school in Asheville, North Carolina where they have a secret society for the, <laughs> and my main character, Kara Collins, that's the only thing she's ever wanted is to get into that secret society. And oh. once she does, she realizes it's more than she's bargained for. So that's, I call that, it's kind of like a mix between Gossip Girl and Pretty Little Liars. And mm. I had a lot of fun writing that novel. That sounds really And I fun. actually, <laughs> it, it, it was, there's, 
I giggled while I was writing like the first series <laughs> because there are scenes that are a little bit more lighthearted, but for the most part, I spent my entire life when I was writing that crying because of the topic. Oh my God. It's but, so intense. Right. Absolutely. Which is why I had to put it up for so long when my husband and I were going through our own emotional season. Oh, I was like, yeah. I can't, no, no. <laughs> I can't touch that when I'm dealing with this. But yeah, with Secrets Don't Keep, the Grove series, I just, yeah, I just I kept finding myself giggling. And like my best friends and I would be reading over the manuscript and they'd be freaking out asking me when the next piece was coming. And it was just, it was so fun to write. And it felt that I think that was the first time a book really came natural. And mm. there wasn't any moment where I really struggled with, oh gosh, what am I going to write next? And I think it's because that was the book where I really started understanding the importance of writing what you want rather than writing what you think other people want you to write or what they want to read. Yeah, that's awesome. So then you moved even beyond writing your own stories to helping other people write their stories. So how did you get into that? Because it seems like a natural extension of your curriculum studies and being an English teacher. Did you always know you wanted to help people write as well as write your own? Yeah, and I did. And in fact, there have been times where I, because of who I am and because I have that heart and that core that gears more toward education, there are times where I almost forget about writing myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that the whole process of me helping others started right around the time that my publishing contract was dissolving mm -hmm. and I had no idea what I was going to do next. And so I just decided to call myself something and I, I was like, let's, let's just talk about story. So I labeled it story coaching and I put it out there for people and that just blossomed rapidly. I, within a month I was paying for our rent and wow. within, within six months I had a, my first retreat, um, here Whoa, in Austin. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And then w within six more months I had over a hundred women in that, in my online community. And so it just, it, blossomed so quick and so fast that for a good six months. So I published some, um, every shattered thing I republished it. Mm -hmm. And then I just kind of forgot about writing. because I was so focused on helping others and don't get me wrong that it lights me up like nobody's business. I meant it when I said, I want to own a house one day with that library. And by the same time, being able to lose myself in story and writing a book that is, I mean, there's just nothing, there's nothing that compares to that. And so I, it took a lot of people being really honest with me and saying like, are you, are you writing or are you just helping people? And me having to be honest with myself and realizing that in that season I was just helping and even though I was helping people, I wasn't helping myself. And so I was becoming really burnt out. And so I, that's, it's been a constant struggle, like that balance of tapping into that core and that dream of 
breathing life into other people's stories and telling them that it matters and that I want them to publish it and I want to help them publish it. But then at the same time, pointing that finger back at myself, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's like being your own client in a way, right? Because yeah, you can support other people. And as a coach, I definitely do that also. But I think it's true. It's like you get so excited about the people you're working with and what they're doing that you kind of are like, oh, la, 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 my own stuff. <laughs> um, we know I'll get to that yeah. later. But like you're helping people. I mean, you have similar language in a way to the people I work with of just like, don't let that thing that is really crying out to be made sit in the back corner forever. Like it, it, it wants your attention and it needs you to exist. Um, so we're, we're not very good examples if we're like, but that doesn't apply to me. It's only for you. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, it was really convicting for me to realize that of, oh my gosh, I'm sitting here telling people, write, like, why aren't you writing every day? Develop (laughs) a rhythm, you know, get this discipline in. If you write a thousand words a day, you'll have 365,000 words at the end of the year. And that's enough for at least two novels, you know, like giving them all of this knowledge that I have, but then at the same time, not listening to it myself. And it was this one moment (laughs) that one of my really good friends, I was driving to Target and I was just really down in the dumps because I had a bunch of authors in my living room who were here for a local book signing and they were talking about being on the bestseller list and like doing all the stuff. And I'm just like, like I struggle to get my book above the 200,000 rank right now on Amazon and y'all are over here talking about being bestsellers for multiple books. And I've only written one. So I called her and she was like, you just got to story coach that shit. Like you just got to turn the tables and (laughs) you know, you can write a book. And you know you've done it before. And so you just have to treat yourself like your own client. And I'm sitting there like staring at the toilet paper aisle. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like crying in the middle target because, I mean, she's she's the friend I call because I know that she's not going to give me any type of untruth or be like, no, it's okay. Of course I feel this way. Go wallow. Like, she's not going to let me do that. (laughs) Go buy some ice cream. It'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, no. She was like, no, story coach that shit. And so (laughs) it was was eye-opening for me. And whenever I feel myself forgetting that core and forgetting, like, hey, remember you're a novelist. Like, this isn't just a thing that you once did. This is who you are. Whenever I realize, oh, I've forgotten that again, I remember that conversation and I'm like, all right, it's time to story coach myself and get myself back in the game. You need a sticker that says story coach that shit. <laughs> I do. I do. That's like a really some good bumper idea. stickers. Or... I think that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. But that's true. It's, it's, well, first of all, I feel like that stuff always hits like in the shower or in target or like while stuck in traffic, those moments seem to come up. Right. So I totally relate to that. But I also think, yeah, I mean, it's important to remember that like you're not just helping all of these people and that your value comes from being a novelist yourself. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, I have so many stories inside that I've yet to tell. And I'm not serving myself or my character as well if 
I'm focusing on other stories. In fact, that's one of the biggest things I tell my clients to avoid is to focus on other people so much that they forget their own story. Mm-hmm. And so what a moment of hypocrisy when I fall into that trap. And so it's really eye opening whenever I get hit with that brick of like, well, shit, I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I think it makes you so much more empathetic I mean, yeah, it's also not serving them, you know, if, if we're like holier than thou people that are like, well, I never have that issue, but if I did, I would <laughs> yeah. try this. You've got yeah, the toilet paper aisle story, <laughs> you know, so which is, yeah. you know, I've been in and out of it and I can still, I can still respond and I can still be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah. So what are you working on now? So I just I just published a, another book. It's my fourth book. Oh but yes, it's not I saw enough. that. I'm dying to buy this book. It has yeah, the best it's, book it's description, called... by the way, of any book description I've ever read on Amazon. It made me so excited. I was like about to start dancing. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, it's called Indie Confidence: Finding the Gumption to Get Your Story Out of Your Bones and Into the World. And, and I just was talking with one of my friends who's been with me from the beginning. So she took my first story 101 e-course and she joined the community when I opened it. And then she joined the coterie when I did that, where it was like a very focused community on indie publishing. And she was telling me that since the beginning, she's been with me and she's had this idea from the beginning and she's been excited about it and she's poured everything into everything I've done. But for some reason there's something that stopped her from writing this novel. And she was like, it's nothing about what you've taught. It's just, there's just been this block and I haven't been able to do it. She's read the book three times. And the, after the third time she read it, she completely checked her plan. And she said that the dam broke, that she has the story that she's been begging herself to tell for the past three years. And she said, it's because of the book. And it just blew my mind. Like, that's why I wrote it. That's why I wrote this book was to help people get out of that cycle of, I don't, I don't even know how to explain it, but there's so many people out there who think there's a formula to indie publishing. Like if you write this type of book, then you'll sell this many books. And I just, I'm not about that. And I, I want people to write what they want to write. And I want people to be proud that they've published a book and I want them to find that gumption within themselves to know that they can do it. And so that's what Indie Confidence is about. And I published it a few weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, it's just been out for a few weeks. That's so great. Yeah. I, I think that was the part that really got me like, woo, it was the whole like, this is not a thing about how to publish a million books and do this and a formula thing. It's about like a story that really matters. We'll put a link to it in the show notes for sure because, um, and all your other stuff that's going on. But yeah, it's it's pretty inspiring because you can, I, I wonder how many people, I'm going to get to the question, don't worry. Um, <laughs> I'm like, wow, we're really taking a long time. Um, I, I wonder if there was a survey that we put out, like how many people have write a book on their bucket list and simultaneously feel like it's an, it's an unachievable goal and like, oh, other people out there can write books, but not me. And this is so important for people like that to, to have that message that it is possible and it's more possible than ever now. Absolutely. 
absolutely like that just got chills when you said that because like that's the biggest thing is that's why I do what I do is I have so many conversations with people when they're like you've written how many books and I tell them and it's not that I'm making light of my own accomplishments or it's not that I think that there isn't work involved but at the same time there is that thought of no trust me if I can do this you can do it. If it's something you want, if it's a story that needs to be told, if it's been begging you to be released, then I promise you, you can do this. And I say that because I've done it four times and I'm not the most disciplined person on the face of the planet. (laughs) And I don't have outlines when I start writing novels. I'm a complete pantser. I just started my fourth novel this week. That's the, that's the companion to secrets don't keep. Are and this is the already? very first. I'm sorry. I said, are you giggling already then? Yeah. Oh yeah, I am. And this is the first book that because of my schedule and it, it got a little crazy this year, my book cover has actually already been finished. And so my description <laughs> for the novel has already been written. And so for a long time, I just didn't start writing it because I was so freaked out about the fact that, well, what if the book I start writing isn't the book that's on oh, the wow, book? Yeah. And so I just had to kind of, you know what? Screw it. So what if it happens? Then I'll get another cover. Yeah, I'll, I'll redo the cover. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everything is fixable. But yeah, it's, you just have to, you just have to begin. You just have to start and see like chapter one, get that first sentence out, then get the next sentence out. And eventually you're going to have a paragraph and a story on your hands. Yeah. That's like, you know, gold right there. I feel like if you just said that to yourself every day, then you'd get there. Oh yeah. That's that's like my mantra. Okay. Just get a sentence out. Like today I was writing right before our conversation and I was sprinting with uh, one of my friends who's writing her second novel and I didn't want to write. I didn't, I was tired. I was trying to drink coffee. So I'd be awake for a conversation. <laughs> um, I wanted to take a nap and she was like, you Laura, just do it. I'm like, fine. And so I sat down at my computer and I seriously stared at the the blinking cursor for about five minutes. And then it got to that point, like just write a sentence. And so I did. And then I just wrote another sentence. And then sure enough, like this scene that came out into my, came into my head that I never anticipated. Like I, this was not the opening to the novel that I anticipated. And so, but I'm excited about it and it fits. And so I'm going with it. And that wouldn't have happened if I would have ignored her plea to (laughs) sprint with her. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, as a, I mean, I've done NaNoWriMo like five times. This is going to be horrifying to you. And I've never put any of those books out in the world because I just felt like they were just kind of like almost throat clearing, like kind of getting myself warmed up. I think maybe yeah. this November will be different. We'll see. But um, but there is this sort of sense of, like, I, I'm definitely a pantser. I love – that's what's fun is, like, when something comes up, you're like, I never even thought that was something that was going to happen. <laughs> like, I feel like the characters do. It's like sometimes the characters don't want to do what you plan for them. It's oh, like, my gosh. hey, you're supposed to go to <laughs> France now. And they're like, nope. I want to go to Buenos Aires. <laughs> Sorry. 
you clearly don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and then you got to figure out, I'm like, but I've never been to Buenos Aires. I don't know what's going on there. And then you just have to figure it out because they didn't want to mm-hmm. go to France. Sorry. Yeah, that happens all of the time. In the somewhere between Water and Sky and Every Shattered Thing, the entire time I was writing, I had this like gut-clinching fear that someone who was the the person who was closest to my character was going to turn on her. And I had that fear because I had no idea what they were they had turned on me like 20 different times <laughs> before that series and so I just kept like I did not trust him. I did not trust that character until like the very end of the second book where I could finally breathe because I knew his intentions. And I think that's what's so exciting about writing. And a lot of people are like, no, you got to know your character. And I do know my characters, but there's an element of free will that's associated with pantsing where even though you know their personality and you know how they would act, it's only because of the actions they've chosen to show you. And I've had to scramble many times because someone just does a 180 on me and I'm like, Oh, you were like the supporting character for the protagonist, but now you're like an antagonist. So (laughs) let me, let me take a moment here and mourn what I thought was going to be the story (laughs) and I'll be back and I'll be ready. Yeah. I think that's so, I don't know, but maybe I'm just a fellow pantser. So I'm like, yay pantsers. But, um, and for anyone who doesn't know what a pantser is, who's listening, it's this idea that there are people, <laughs> some people are like, what are you people talking about? People who plan and outline a book versus people who fly by the seat of their pants and just see what happens. And to me, I just think in, in knowing people my whole life, it's like you never really know anyone, including yourself. So I feel like mm. I can't imagine outlining a book about these characters that I only know through the little glimmers that I've seen of them. I mean, I live with my partner for several years now. I mean, he might do something crazy at any minute, you know, and he's a live person that I've interacted with, like let alone a character that's, they can change even more, I think. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's what makes books so dynamic is when you when you let your characters be who they really are, then there's going to be a depth to the novel and, and to the plot that's not there if you pigeonhole them into a certain stereotype. And with Secrets Don't Keep, Kara, when I started writing her, I still had in my mind Stephanie, the main character of every shattered thing and mm-hmm. how she acted. She was, she was a spitfire, but at the same time she was really timid because of what she had gone through. And she was by no means weak, but there, she didn't know her strength. Kira, on the other hand, is the girl you love to hate in high school. <laughs> and she is, brash and confident and she knows what she wants and she's going to get it. And when I first started writing the very first scene, um, in secrets don't keep, she's in the library after hours with her boyfriend Dex. And I was making it PG, right? Like PG. Like I was just sitting there, like they're in the library, they're looking for this file. 
and it's scary because it's after hours, yada, yada, yada. And then, like, I finish, and I'm like, this is so boring. (laughs) (laughs) I can just, like, see Kara in the corner, like, raising her eyebrow at me, like, no shit, Sherlock. Like, I've been trying to tell you what I want to do, and you're ignoring me. And so I let it rest for about a week, and I came back to that scene. And I just... I grumbled about it for sure, but I was like, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to give in to the scene and write whatever comes to mind and not censor myself. And what came out was like, it almost made me blush. I was like, what <laughs> in the world? Who, who is this character that is flying against everything I would do in that moment? And it was one of the most difficult lessons I'd learned as a writer with characters because we have a hard time like breaking down that fourth wall and interjecting ourselves into the story. And this was one of those moments where I realized just how separate Kara was from who I am in real life. Um, We always write what we know in our books, but she was definitely her own person. And I think once I stopped fighting her, that was when writing that book became really fun because it was like I was meeting somebody new who was completely opposite of me. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a misconception about write what you know, because there's plenty of stuff that we know that we wouldn't do ourselves. Oh yeah. It's like we, I mean, I know the character you're talking about just from like the girl you love to hide in high school. Like, of course we all had one of those girls and we know what they would do. It doesn't mean we would choose it, but that's still something we know. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh my goodness. I love it. So what I'm, I want to ask as a story coach also from the other side of your world, what is some of your sort of, I mean, I know every person is different, but what is one of the most common issues you see coming up for people who want to write? Like where do they trip themselves up and what advice would you give them? Small question, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just, just a small question. Just a little one. I think confidence, it really is the confidence, uh, which goes back to the Indie Confidence book. I mean, that's why I titled it what I did, because I was like, what do I want people to get out of this? What do I see so often? And it's just that belief that they have what it takes to write the book. And, or, or that fear that, what they do right is going to be seen and, and rejected or that they're crazy for even thinking about writing it. Mm. Um, a lot of times too, because I find myself working with a lot of young adult novelists, mm. it's like people who are writing in the young adult genre or like the new adult genre. I haven't, I'm trying to think here before I say this, I don't, yeah, I don't think I've gotten any like literary fiction, Um, I've gotten a few memoirs, but a lot of times they even wrestle with the perception of the genre. So Mm. like, am am I going to be seen and respected as an author if I write the story that I really want to write? Or am I going to be seen and respected as an author if I publish this book myself? Uh, that's probably another really big one. And so it all comes down to confidence. Like, do you have the confidence or do I have the confidence to really finish this book? Do I have the confidence to 
walk through the rejections and the feedback and the reviews and the critique? Do I have the confidence to own my story that I knew I needed to tell, regardless of what others' perceptions are about the genre? And what I usually tell them is they have everything they need. Even with my Awake Indie community, that's the community I run for women writers. I'm the facilitator and they pay me monthly to coach them and to do like write-ins and to send them that encouragement that they need. But at the same time, I will be the first to say, you don't need me to finish this book. You have everything you need inside. I can hold that mirror for you and repeat everything you've just told me. <laughs> and then some, for some reason it sinks down into that layer where your core is and where your gut is. And then you believe it. And you think I've just said something really insightful when in reality, I really did just repeat something you told me earlier in the conversation. Oh my goodness. And, I had a dollar for every time that happened when I was a psychotherapist yeah. I mean, it was, um, it is astonishing how often that happens. I think it's so sad. People don't really listen to other people in a way, or people exactly. are, I don't have an experience of being heard. I mean, I had clients who were like, I really just feel sad that this thing didn't work out. And I would say, okay, so you're feeling really sad that this thing didn't work out. They're like, yes, yes, I can't believe it. How did you know? And I'm like, well, you just said it. <laughs> but it's people, I, I, it makes me so sad that, that, that that isn't something that we experience in everyday life. And I think the fallout is things like you're seeing where people don't have the confidence to tell their story. Yeah. Well, it's because no one's listening. So why would you tell a story if no one's going to listen? And what I found is in, in my own life, when I start becoming afraid about, or when I get into that mindset of like, there's no reason why I should tell this story because no one is going to listen. I'm placing a generalization on the entire population. Like I'm making a blanket statement, assuming that just because I didn't get the response that I thought I would receive, that that meant that nobody got the message that I was sharing. When in reality, I had to get to that point in that realization that the, the gratitude and the feeling of purpose that I receive when one person emails me and says, that post you wrote was for me, or how did you know I was going through that when you sent that email or this book was amazing and it changed how, you know, I viewed human trafficking or whatever the case is, those solitary moments where it's just one person emailing me and reaching out to me and saying that my words have affected them. That is why I write. It's not, it's not for the masses. It's not. And I think we be, we, we start to believe that lie that because the masses aren't listening, then that means no one is. And we stop ourselves from telling a story that someone might desperately need to hear. Oh, absolutely. And I think the other thing is, is that we don't even know who's reading it and who's being impacted just because one person has the guts to write an email and say it meant something to you, to them, you know, that you wrote that, who knows how many people read it and were too shy to say anything about it. 
Exactly. It's a cycle, right? So it's like for every person who takes the time to write a one-star review because they hated my novel, there's going to be about 20 people or 30 people or 10, I don't know, people who read it and were like, oh, this was a good book. They just didn't want to write a review. And the same goes for those five-star reviews or the people who email me directly. For every person who emails me directly and says, this was the best book I've ever read, there's going to be a handful of people who read it and were like, I mean, it was okay. It's not my favorite. And you know, like, Yeah, but it's, it's funny too because I, it is. It's like the five stars and the one stars that really want to leave reviews because they're like, yes, everyone needs to know about this or I have no life and I have to be really aggressive about it. It's like those are the people that leave reviews rather than the people like, it was pretty good. Like it doesn't, it doesn't, I feel like that's the reason reviews are so skewed. But, um, yeah. But it's true. It's like, I think of times when as a reader, having read books and having them had a really strong impact on me, but feeling like, oh, this person probably gets a ton of email and they're going to be, you know, like, oh, one more email. Somebody's saying my book was good. It's like as having the confidence as a reader to reach out and realize how much it would mean to the author to hear, hey, this really spoke to me. (laughs) There was there was a moment uh, a few years ago where I had just published every shattered thing and I was on this kick. I still am really, but it was when I began because remember I was desperate to get into that indie community. I was gobbling up like any indie book I could. And that was when I started seeing the discrepancy, um, the oversaturation of the market where literally everyone would write the story and publish it. If you catch my drift. Right. <laughs> and yes. <laughs> I found this book called In This Moment by Autumn Dotton mm-hmm. and I read it because it had been in the top 100 on Amazon for a really long time. And I watched the top 100 because you get those those ones that have spikes because of sales or right. because someone wrote something, but then they disappear. This one was a steady climb. And so I was like, there has to be something. And it's only 99 cents. There has to be something about this book. So I'm just going to read it. It was amazing. Mm. I like devoured it in a couple hours one Sunday. And so I started searching for this author. Couldn't find her anywhere on the internet. Found her Goodreads profile and sent her a message. <laughs> and all I did was just be like, from one indie author to another, thank you so much for publishing a quality book that rivals any of the books I've seen from some of the big publishers out there. And like this, this is why I love this industry is because of these stories that you've, that you've written. And she wrote me back and she was like, Oh my gosh, this message is amazing. And we just, we exchanged messages and now we're friends. So great. (laughs) Yeah, and it was this moment where it was that. Like, I could be shy, and I could just kind of relish the greatness of the book and, like, the fact that I loved it so much and I could recognize the quality of her writing. Or I could reach out because she is an indie author and because I know how much much it takes to put your neck out there. Um, I could I could reach out to her and let her know, like, hey, your book, I loved it. From one indie author to another, thank you. And I got a friend out of it. And so, and that wasn't the purpose. I mean, it turned out 
really great because we found out we had a lot in common. But those are the moments that, I mean, the indie community is beyond any type of community I've been part of because of the celebration and the, um, we don't push each other down. We don't try to step on our shoulders to reach the top. We really work together and celebrate each other. That's so much what I've heard about it. And it's so great to hear it from you also. So one thing I want to talk about before Mike is my last question is tell us more about your community. Cause I think one thing that writers always struggle with is, you know, kind of the isolation that happens when you're writing alone and is anyone going to care? And I think you're creating a community that supports people and gives them a space to connect with other people. That was something I loved about what you wrote was the saying like, yeah, me too. Or yeah, I know what that's like. Um, to say more about the community so people can learn more about that. And we'll link to it in the show notes as well. Sure. So I've run a community for the past three years in different forms. The, when it first started out, it started out and it was called Story Sessions. And I just worked with women who were creative. Like So I even had painters in there and photographers and anybody who had a story to tell, but didn't necessarily, that didn't necessarily mean that it was through writing. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of morphed into storytellers where we focused on writing and getting our words out into the world. And then a couple months later, I launched the Coterie, which was a year program where I took uh, the, I think there was about 90 women who joined um, through the process of publishing. So, and it kind of modeled the breakdown of indie confidence. So it started out with finding your why all the way to what creative entrepreneurship looks like as an author, mm. because it is a business. And that was a year long program that ended in June. And in May, right before the coterie ended, I launched awake indie and it's, limitless. It's never ending, meaning you can join and there's not like a 12 month program or whatever. You can stay as long as you'd like. And there's daily rhythms to get us into that discipline of constantly creating and looking for beauty around us that inspires us. And there's camaraderie. Uh, every month we have a write-in where we meet virtually and work on our manuscripts and then we're able to share it with each other while we're virtually meeting. And everything I produce, so like Indie Confidence, before I published that, I sent it out to them free of charge. Um, they get a 30-minute conversation with me every month wow. through Skype where we kind of hash out, hey, what's going on with you? How are you? Like, where are you stuck? How can we get you unstuck? And it's just, that is my, that's my thing. Like, being able to foster that connection that I've seen between writers and the inspiration that happens. We have teaser Tuesdays where we share what, like what we're writing and it blows me away. The, the stuff that I shared and the belief that is sewed into other writers. It's a really small group right now because it just started and I'm limiting it to a hundred people because I want it to stay small. Right. And Plus, how are you going to be doing Skype morning, noon, and night if you had more than a hundred per month? Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's it, and I I've fallen into that trap before of like, we're going to make this huge. There's going to be a thousand or 
5,000 people in this before the year is up. And like, just that, again, that, that it's the same mindset of like, this is how you sell 10 million books. And I realized this past year that I don't necessarily need a community that's a thousand members deep, right? Like I, it's okay to stay small and it's okay to focus on the stories that I know need to be written. Um, and it's okay to really pour as much as I can into the women who join awake ND and leave it open handed to where if they need to leave for a few months, they leave for a few months. And if they come back, they come back. But there's that revolving door where everyone is welcome and you're free to go whenever. And there's always a place at the table for you. And it's nothing. There's not much that, um, gives me joy than being able to kind of connect with those women in there and learn more about their stories and what they're wanting to write. Amazing. It's just been such a pleasure to have you on the show, Laura. And I know people have learned a lot. So we're going to have links to your site and all of your, all your social fun stuff. And I know we'll want to have you again. So thanks again for taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Secret Library Podcast, where we're going deep inside the world of books. You can listen to all episodes on iTunes. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes can be found online at secretlibrarypodcast.com. To stay up to date and hear about future episodes, please subscribe to Footnotes, my newsletter, on the site. You can also find out about coaching with me, Caroline, and get book prescriptions and other goodies at carolinedonahue.com. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend and leave a review on iTunes. Thank you so much, and until next week, happy reading.